we want to also ensure that our students receive the instruction, the support services that they need in order to succeed while we're in this unprecedented situation. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. In response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and protocols banning social interactions in the state of California, the San Diego Community College District Board of Trustees convened for the first time by virtual meeting on April 9th. On this episode of In the Know, ACCT President and CEO Jay Noah Brown will be speaking with SDCCD Board President Dr. Maria Nieto-Sinor about how the district board met, what they learned, and what considerations will be made as future board meetings are convened. I'd like to start off, uh, Dr. Sonora, with just asking you generally how things are going at the San Diego Community College District overall uh, with the pandemic. Well, this has not been an easy time, uh, but I believe we've responded uh, to this unprecedented challenge through a variety of actions and plans that are designed to accomplish two goals. The first and most important one is we want to make sure that the health and safety of students and employees is is, um, being uh, the first, the most important thing on our agenda. Secondly, we want to ensure that the the continuity of instruction, support services and operations. We wanna ensure the safety of everyone and that we wanna also ensure that our students receive the instruction, the support services that they need in order to succeed while we're in this unprecedented situation. Now, the pandemic has caused uh, boards to function a bit differently, just like our students have. Um, I understand last uh, month, uh, your board made the decision to begin to meet remotely. First of all, were any board members uh, troubled or have uh, concerns about the decision to move board meetings to an online venue? Um, Not really. We weren't sure exactly how it was going to work, but, and we weren't sure if people were going to tune in, whatever, but uh, we knew that uh, in order to do this appropriately, we were going to need to meet remotely, so everyone was on board with that. And having moved remotely, did it change or affect any way that you normally would do business? So, for example, uh, posting a notice of public meeting, uh, did you have to change the agenda significantly or were you able to kind of continue on your normal uh, board meeting agenda and, and notification? Well, I think generally it's, uh, we've been able to manage the transition in a relatively positive way. Our meetings have three parts. There's an initial public call to order before the closed session so that we can allow members of the public to comment on any uh, closed session items. And our closed session is not available to members of the public, but we call uh, a call to order in case anyone wants to make any comments before uh, about the the items on the closed uh, session agenda. And then we move into our closed session, which is, also obviously on Zoom, but, but no one from the public is here, members of our, of our board, our chancellor, vice chancellors or presidents who are 
uh, relevant to the discussion are there. Uh, a link to the Zoom meeting is sent to the, the board members, the chancellor, the presidents, vice presidents, vice chancellors, and the participatory governance leaders, all of our Senate leaders, um, and uh, union leaders, everyone um, uh, gets the link. Uh, and it's both for initial, for the initial call to order, that same link is used, and for the regular uh, business meeting. And others are invited to watch a live stream on YouTube so that once we are ready to start the, the uh, open session meetings, um, we wait for them to say that we're, we're already on, uh, on live stream and then we start them. A separate link uh, is used for closed session and that's only sent to the board members and, and those like the chancellor and, and selected staff that are gonna be part of the closed session. And trustees lug in separately to all three parts of the meeting. We're each in our own homes. And so that's taken a little while to get used to. Uh, because we're streaming on YouTube, it takes a while to get the live stream up and running each time. Between this and the logging off and on, it can take 15 minutes to get everything going. During public portions of the meeting, everyone except the, the, the chancellor and the trustees mute their audio and video unless they have been invited to speak, to make presentations, et cetera and the staff helps to, uh, to make this go smoothly. The biggest difference is that due to the threat of hacking, Zoom bombing, the public is only able to view the meeting, not participate uh, during um, a meeting, not of our board, but uh, one of our, of our uh, I think it was continuing education. Somebody uh, zoomed in some, um, um, graphic video that was totally <laughs> inappropriate to say the least. So as a result, we are uh, monitoring that very carefully. And what happens is that public comments are submitted via email um, uh, into a special section of the, of the district's webpage and are read aloud by staff at the appropriate point. So the staff reads the meetings, the, the, the comments from the public at the appropriate time. Yes, I know from a number of our colleagues uh, that Zoom bombing and other things have been an issue. Uh, and I know that Zoom and other platforms have upped their game. I think they were as unprepared as we were to move to this platform and no one anticipated <laughs> a lot right. of these issues. Um, perhaps this can go in the bucket of future uh, board policy considerations. Um, in terms of how best to pursue uh, virtual board meetings. With respect to the board meeting uh, last month, with your permission, I'd like to ask you about a couple things that were on the agenda uh, from that meeting. For example, I noticed one of the items was uh, related to the tuition-free San Diego Promise Program, with which, as you probably gather, I'm pretty familiar uh, as I serve on the National College Promise Advisory Board. But that program, uh, I know, has served over 4,500 students over the past four years. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how the Promise program that you were able to put in place in San Diego is being affected now by the pandemic? Well, as, as you, uh, I'm sure, know, the San Diego Promise particip participants have been negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic financially and academically. 
more than 70% of Promise participants have significant financial need. Since the onset of the pandemic, some Promise students have reported struggling financially due to job layoffs and an inability to find work. Additionally, an increased number of Promise students have reported that they need to withdraw from one or more courses due to com um, competing family responsibilities, such as lack of childcare, increased financial need, and inability to complete courses in a non-life format due to lack of technology, internet uh, access, and or efficient working space. So it has uh, impacted our students significantly. Yes, and uh, I know that we're hearing a lot uh, from other colleges around their Promise programs. Uh, it's a huge concern. We actually did spend some time at the uh, National College Promise advisory board meeting recently about what we might do to continue to convince uh, states, funders, and others to uh, remain in the game relative to promise programs. It'd be a tragedy to see those uh, uh, be peeled back uh, for students who are already facing a number of other challenges. Another uh, remarkable agenda item was uh, board, the board passed a resolution officially acknowledging the outstanding contributions of your faculty, administrators, and, and staff uh, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious about how that resolution came to fruition. And uh, more importantly, um, I assume this is something that perhaps your board felt very strongly about. Would you mind commenting about that? Sure. Uh, on March 12th, our, our board held a special meeting and declared a state of emergency. On the 13th of March, the, the president declared a national emergency. On March 16th to the 20th, our, the San Diego Community College District classes were suspended and campuses were closed in order to prepare for online uh, remote instruction and remote operations. On March 19th, uh, Governor um, Gavin Newsom issued Executive Order N3320 directing all individuals living in the state of California to shelter at home. And on March 23rd, the district began online remote instruction and remote operations. We had a short period of time to get everything moving online and we had folks who were ready to do it and, and a lot of folks were not. Uh, almost 5,000 course sections were converted to online or remote learning. When combined with the course sections that were previously online, almost uh, 6,200, um, um, we have now we ha now have online. 280 course sections remain in in uh, hard to convert areas such as allied health, laboratory classes, and public safety. In addition to instruction, we had to convert. Uh, wraparound services such as counseling, admissions, and records, and other student services to fully online. And as you can imagine, at a time when there's so much anxiety and, and anxiety and depression get linked, our students need counseling, um, mental health services. Obviously, we need to continue doing our admissions, our records, etc., so that uh, uh, everyone can access what they need online. Uh, there's also functions such as college police and custodial services, business functions like purchasing and accounts payable and payroll services for 
our over 5,000 employees, all of that, uh, we needed to figure out how to do. Meanwhile, we're still trying to keep students in the community informed about what we're doing uh, via virtual town halls. All of this happened in a very short amount of time and represented a lot of work by employees at every level. Our chancellor is a very strong communicator, as you well know, and, and, uh, and she kept the board in the loop throughout our, uh, every step of the process. After one such message, Trustee Reinerson asked for a short resolution thanking the employees at the April meeting. And due to open meeting law restrictions, we were not able to discuss it as an entire board, but this was something very much in line with the board's priorities. Let's return for a minute back to the question of uh, public meetings uh, and the use of the virtual meeting format. I know that the public was able to watch the meeting via a live YouTube stream. Did you uh, witness or experience any difference in the level of public interest for the, the board meeting than perhaps a normal live board meeting? Well, definitely. Usually our meetings are attended by our executive managers and our participatory governments leaders without much public interest, unless there's something of particular note on the agenda. During our May meeting, despite YouTube having worldwide disruptions, we had almost 100 viewers at some point. So uh, we were able to expand the number of folks that were able to attend the meeting. And as you know, because people are in lockdown situations, that also probably gives people more time um, to uh, sit and, and, uh, and watch our meetings. Huh, that's interesting. Let me ask, um, before you began to hold virtual board meetings, when you had live board meetings, did the public have the means to actually watch remotely or did they have to physically attend the board meetings? Well, before uh, this, uh, people um, were not able to watch remotely. Uh, we were not broadcasting our meetings uh, in any platform. And so this is a first for us, that they're available to anybody who's interested in tuning in. Not to put you on the spot, and I know that it would be a board decision, but do you think the board might consider allowing the public to view future board meetings uh, virtually? My guess is we would be. I mean, I know I am interested in that. I think that uh, it's important for the, the public to really have a sense of what their community colleges are about and what we're doing. And, and uh, I mean, I think we have a very positive reputation in our community, but I think that people watching our meetings, it would increase because I think our meetings are effective and open and transparent and uh, and we deal with important topics. Okay, and Dr. Sonor, just for the uh, folks that are listening who may not know, may I ask, are you uh, elected as a trustee or are you appointed? We are all elected uh, and we are, the way that it's worked up to now is that we're elected in our, uh, our own district. So I live in District A and we have you know, five districts, so there's five of us. And, um, and we're all elected in, in our area. Uh, and then when we go to the general election, then we're elected citywide. 
but most likely that's going to change. There's been challenges to that, and I think it, it may wind up being district-only elections during both the primary and the general in the future, but that has not happened yet. Okay, so as elected officials then, it uh, goes without saying that the ability for the public to see and understand what the board is doing is part of your uh, responsibility to maintain transparency. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about um, having done uh, the virtual board meeting now at this point. Um, are there particular lessons uh, that you and your board and or chancellor are learning about this virtual format uh, that may guide future board meetings or how you pursue your agenda? Well, our staff did a lot of work beforehand to figure out our meeting logistics, such as how we were going to get public participation and also how we were going to get closed captioning, ADA accommodations, things like that. So there was a lot of work ahead of time. The staff also spent the time to make sure that we were comfortable using Zoom. So they trained us individually, uh, including we had a practice meeting beforehand so, so that those of us who hadn't used Zoom before were confident going into our first meeting. Just like having an in-person meeting, it's important that certain ground rules are set out so that everything runs smoothly. For example, we had to decide as a board that at our meetings, board members are asked to raise their hands via Zoom when they wish to speak. Everyone is encouraged to mute their audio when they're not speaking to minimize, uh, minimize, um, minimize disruptions. When making or seconding a motion, board members speak and physically raise their hands. They also physically raise their hands when voting on a motion. Roll call votes and other means are considered, but it was determined that this made the most sense for our board. Okay. Did you have a plan for the occasional disruptions that might occur on the virtual platform? So for example, uh, I was on a call uh, yesterday and I lost my internet. So I got bumped out uh, for about five minutes. Uh, is there a plan for those kinds of things um, during virtual board meetings now to either minimize disruption or allow you to continue to proceed on your agenda? Well, uh, you know, with the help of our staff, we've taken a number of precautions. Um, we limit the access to the meetings. Um, only those with a role on the board um, meetings are invited to the meeting. All others can view via YouTube. Uh, the password uh, is protected for the meetings. A virtual waiting room allows the staff to ensure that participants um, are invited in when they have presentations to make. So things are, are managed with a great deal of care so that there aren't intrusions. Um, so no unwanted images are, have been displayed because we've been able to um, monitor all of that and make sure that nothing like that has happened. Um, so, I mean, we've been able to pretty much um, not have any, any disruptions. Uh, there may be times when somebody's um, internet service is, is not as good as it could be, but so far we haven't lost any of our board members or any of our uh, 
vice chancellors or presidents or whatever that were not were unable to present. So so far so good in terms of of managing the technology. Okay, can I ask you about uh, what the current state of play is in the San Diego area relative to restrictions on gathering, social distancing, and the like? Well, we're moving into uh, what they call here and probably all over the country, phase two, where a number of, of things are allowed. Uh, they just announced that they're gonna allow people to use the beach as long as people wear masks and, um, and, and socially distance. Um, in the, in, up until now, people have been able to like run or walk but they haven't been able to just like lay on the beach and that's in the process of changing. So things are opening up a, a little bit, uh, but of course it has to be done with care because there are coronavirus deaths in this area and uh, the cases haven't stopped increasing, although they're not doing it at a, at a great rate. So um, as a result, um, things are still uh, tentative and could be changed. But I mean, I know there's one county up in Northern California that opened up more and then they started getting some cases. So they've closed down more. So I know we have to be ready for that kind of thing. Yeah, and then under the uh, phase two, has that changed anything relative to your board meetings for now or will you continue to meet virtually? No, we're gonna continue to meet virtually for now. And do you have a plan for when things are loosened up in terms of returning to live board meetings? Not yet. Uh, at this point, it, it feels premature. Um, we, we really wanna make sure that everybody's safe and that we are working as hard as we can to make sure that like our students have had to, some of them we've had to give them or loan them laptops from the district. Um, we've had to do a number of things to make sure that, that things can function. Um, but I mean, some of our board members are among those at, at risk uh, categories. I mean, I'm uh, 76 years old and some of our other board members are not kids either. So um, we have to take care of our own health. And there's a lot of folks in our district that have, you know, we have, we serve a lot of disabled students, et cetera. So we really have to be careful that we don't um, do anything that's gonna jeopardize people's health. So at this point, we're not yet talking about what else we're gonna do or when we're gonna go back. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we at ACCT are in the same boat. Uh, the District of Columbia only as of Thursday has begun to enter what they call phase one, mm. but still uh, strongly recommended that organizations like ours uh, continue to work remotely. And of course, that's what we're doing because health and safety of employees um, is paramount for us as well. Do you think, uh, meeting virtually at this point. Um, do you have any sense of, of how that's coming across with the student population? So for example, I know that you had to move uh, classes and everything for students on a virtual platform. 
Do you think moving the board also to a virtual platform uh, is something that uh, I guess is uh, viewed favorably by students or you know, is it, is it help uh, win favor with students who've been disrupted also? You know, we have heard no complaints. I, I'm not aware of any concerns from students about our meeting virtually. My sense is that uh, students don't usually tend to attend our meetings unless they're getting recognized, unless they're making presentations on their programs, etc. So I don't think that students are that concerned about whether we meet in person or we meet uh, virtually. But as I said earlier, um, more people are viewing the meetings than they ever have. And that uh, most likely also includes our students. Do you think when the pandemic is, quote unquote, more under control or has uh, waned to a point where we can return to what we used to think of as normal, can you envision any time in a non-pandemic environment where the board might uh, choose again to uh, meet virtually uh, rather than in person under say a non-crisis circumstance? I hope so. Uh, I think that one of the things we're learning from these lockdowns is that it saves energy, it helps keep the environment cleaner, uh, it saves time, uh, it saves all kinds of, uh, of effort if we can meet virtually instead of in person. And I personally hope that we do have um, meetings of different kinds. Even when we go to um, public board meetings uh, in person and we open up the, the boardrooms again. I mean, the last couple of board meetings, we did it with social distancing, with chairs spaced apart and monitoring how many people were in the room, et cetera, making sure everybody was wearing masks, all of that stuff. But um, when that's no longer necessary, I think there's some real advantages. And I'm hopeful that not only our board, but other institutions can see that there are advantages to meeting virtually and not, and not having to constantly be moving people in, in person into different settings. But uh, I mean, the, the commute here today was much easier than it usually is. I mean, we've been able to do quite a few things virtually, including we just hired a new president for Miramar College via Zoom. The candidate was in New York, and so we didn't have to worry about building travel time and to, to schedule our meeting um, with uh, interviews for, for the, the individual. Um, we were able to do it all via Zoom, and I think that that's not a bad thing. I mean, the fact that uh, several of us didn't travel there means that uh, we saved uh, time, we saved money um, uh, for our taxpayers, etc. So I do think that uh, Zoom meetings are likely to be more cost-effective and effective for everybody uh, from time to time, depending on the nature of the meeting. And so, yeah, I believe that our board would really be interested in seeing what we can do when there's not a crisis. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you just mentioned that. I know that your chancellor will be retiring and that you will be undertaking a search at some point for a new chancellor. So given your comments, would I 
be led to believe that you would look at uh, virtual gatherings as one way of even conducting searches and interviewing candidates? Well, it's certainly possible. It depends. I mean, we've already started our process. We've already appointed the committee that's going to be meeting with the, you know, the search committee. We, we have a broad representation of, of folks from the district and outside the district that are relevant to be on our search committee. And, um, and so that's already in place. Uh, the, they've been having virtual meetings of the committee so far. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know what exactly, I would prefer that we are able to meet our chancellor candidates in person uh, when we are down to the last uh, couple of candidates, but we'll see how things stand at that point. Do you have any concerns about doing a search in a current pandemic environment or are you committed to pushing forward and to uh, adhering to timelines that you've established? We're trying to, to push forward uh, and not delay uh, our search. Our chancellor actually does want to retire despite the fact that most of us don't want her to, <laughs> including me. I think she's so effective and I would I, I really am sad to see her make this decision, but I, she's got a right, obviously, to decide when she wants to um, move in a different direction in her own life. So um, we need to find a replacement. So we need to do it in the best way we can to make sure we get the best possible individual selected as our new chancellor. Well, good, yes. I've. I know your chancellor, I've known her for years, I've had the privilege of working with her and she is uh, an incredible chancellor. And um, you know, it's gonna be hard to find somebody of her caliber, although as you know, it's always an opportunity for a board to look forward. Um, the good news is there's a tremendous amount to build on top of in the district. So you have to, be pretty proud and, and feel pretty good about that. Really, we do. I mean, we we get so many compliments. I and mean, we've had people uh, go up to us in public settings and say, you people ought to be running the city. You folks ought to be running the state. The chancellor especially. I mean, she, her profile is really high here in San Diego and in California. And uh, there's a lot of folks who, who really attribute a lot of our success to her, rightfully so. Um, so she's going to be a hard act to follow, but uh, there's also other good people in the planet, and there's some very good people in our country that could work as our chancellor, so we'll see. We'll see how, how close we can get to uh, um, finding someone uh, like Constance M. Carroll. Let me um, ask you to be a, a little reflective now. So given the experience that you've had now with the virtual board meetings, uh, all the issues that uh, related to moving successfully, all the work that the staff and team had to do in order to make that happen. Do you have words of advice for our other boards regarding uh, how they can be successful in convening virtual meetings, perhaps now and in the future? Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've learned a lot in this process uh, and we need to, number one, make sure that before any meeting, the staff reviews security risks and has plans in place 
to counter them so that we don't get people breaking in and doing something inappropriate. So the staff needs to make sure that they're very well prepared for that. Uh, we also need to make sure that we all agree uh, to meeting the, uh, the ground rules uh, that we have to establish for virtual meetings and um, make sure that everybody's on board with them. I mean, here in California, we have a law known as the Brown Act, which is fairly prohibited, uh, prohibitive of having virtual meetings. And our governor has suspended certain provisions of the act due to the current crisis under normal circumstances. An agenda must be posted 72 hours in advance at all locations that lists all locations, including where someone is calling from, and each location has to allow public access and public participation. But obviously, um, we can't very well have people coming to our homes right now uh, to participate, and so uh, that's been suspended. So we need to know what the rules are and what is legal and to make sure we're meeting all the rules. And uh, thirdly, we need to make sure that everyone is familiar with whatever platform uh, that district decides to use prior to the meeting. Um, we, as I stated earlier, were prepared very carefully by our staff. We had practice runs. We, uh, we made sure that all of our equipment was operating well, that the setup was done such that uh, people were able to see and hear us well. Um, so uh, it just needs a lot of preparation, but I think that, um, as, as, as I've said earlier, there's a lot of good that comes from this, not, not only for our virtual board and our virtual board meetings, but as you know, there have been faculty who haven't always wanted to go online and now are needing to learn how to do that. And so faculty and staff are increasing their own skills as well as the board increasing its skills. So. I mean, I think there are some good things that have come out of this process, difficult as it has been. Yeah, I guess one of the lessons, if, if the board can go online successfully, certainly faculty can too. Yeah, although it's a, probably a little more complicated. I mean, my daughter is a counselor at a high school and they have to do everything virtually. And so just tracking down all her students and some of her students don't have laptops and getting laptops to them. I mean, there's been a lot of, of glitches in the process that, you know, there's hurdles to overcome, but uh, it's doable with when the will is there and we can, if we can get enough resources, that's always the big thing. Here we are in, a, in an economic free fall in all over the country. And yet we need resources more than ever in order to make sure that we can do our, our jobs well and make sure that our students are, are learning and growing in all the ways that they need to. So uh, definitely there's challenges, but there's also real opportunities. Maybe one last thing, uh, since I'm always interested in governance, the process of governance. Were there any board policies or procedures that the board needed to change in order to transition to virtual? No, the only thing is what I already talked about was how can we do this and still meet the Brown Act requirements that make uh, virtual meetings difficult. And so the, govern the governor had to suspend um, some of the provisions so that we could do it. Um, but um, uh, I think that generally, 
like I said, I think this has not been a bad experience for us. We've learned a lot and it's, you know, it's in many ways grown us. So as we wrap this up, um, any other things or thoughts that uh, you want to share with uh, our listening audience about uh, either the impact that the pandemic has had on the district or your transition to virtual meetings? Uh, or how uh, this perhaps in some ways may have strengthened the district and maybe provide greater focus on uh, perhaps some of the, the areas of need that were maybe less exposed before the pandemic? Well, I think, uh, I think we were aware that we have a lot of students uh, who have intense needs. I mean, we have homeless students, we have food insecurity, that's just ramped up. All of that has just uh, grown exponentially, and I'm sure that's true all, all over the country. Uh, so our districts, all of our districts, uh, need to be ready to uh, do our best to meet as many of those needs as, there, as is possible. It's a major challenge. I mean, I... I uh, have been on the board for 29 years and I got on this board never planning to be here so long. I, uh, my plan had been to at the most serve two terms because I was a professor at San Diego State. I love my job there. I didn't feel like I needed to be doing more things than that, but I, I decided to run for this board because there had never been any Latinos on the board and I knew that the, the future was gonna be about Latinos in California and we needed to educate my people in order to, uh, to move our state forward. And so I ran, got elected, et cetera. And I love what we do. And I, I know that I speak for board members all over the, the country. Our jobs are so important because we are the people's colleges and more than anyone else is we like to say we take the top 100% of students that apply. And so we, everybody has a chance. People who weren't able to do well in high school because they weren't mature enough or because they had crises going on or for whatever reasons, they get another chance. And people who got degrees, but it's not in the area that they really enjoy, they're needing to be retooled, they can come back. So we get people as you know, who haven't finished high school and we get people who have doctorates that are our students. And so our work is critical to the success of our country. And the more we learn to do our job effectively, the better we are. And I think that this pandemic with all the, the pain that it has caused, all the loss of life and of economic security, et cetera, uh, that it has caused, um, it also has shown us some new ways to do things. And, um, and I believe we're going to continue to take some of the things that we've learned that have been useful and keep using them in the future to the degree that they make sense. Thank you for listening to this special episode of In the Know. We'll see you again this fall when we return to weekly episodes. 